And now please stand for the reading of the word. This is Mark 1, 16 through 28. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat, mending their nets. Immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Then Jesus and his companions went to Capernaum, and as soon as the Sabbath began, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. The people were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Suddenly a man with an unclean spirit cried out in the synagogue, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked the spirit. Be silent, he said. Come out of him. At this, the unclean spirit threw the man into convulsions and came out with a loud shriek. All the people were amazed and began to ask one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And the news about Jesus spread quickly through the whole region of Galilee. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. Well, if it's your first time joining us, welcome. Uh, most of you would know by now that we are uh, have dedicated this year to the year of biblical literacy, which means we're just reading the Bible and studying it for ourselves to know what it teaches and in order to be shaped by the story of God. Um, and along with that, we're doing teachings on Sunday morning through the main themes, message, and characters of the Bible. So this morning, we're starting a new five-week series on the character of Christ. And uh, this morning, we're going to start by looking at Jesus, the teacher. So when we think about Jesus, what are the main identities that we give him? When I say the word or when I would say the name Jesus, I mean, what do we immediately think of? And if, if we grew up in the conservative church, I think we instinctively would blurt out, Jesus is God. You know, that's kind of the Sunday school answer, if you will. You know, just, so Jesus is God. That's, you know, just kind of the gut reaction. Um, and that is an identity of Jesus. He is the eternal son of God. Uh, many of us, of course, would think of him and know him as the savior of the world. You know, we, we throw around this term, I'm saved. I'm saved. Oh, they're saved. Oh, they're not saved. And so we talk about Jesus as the savior, the one who brings salvation. Or maybe another identity that scripture gives him, something we talk about a lot at Refuge, is that Jesus is the king. He is the anointed one of God, the long-awaited king of Israel. And the prophecies of the Old Testament talk about how the king of Israel will be the one who will rule over the nations with a rod of iron. That he is, in fact, not just the king of Israel, but the king of the world, the world's true king. Well, Jesus was a lot of things. He really was. And I think we could probably talk about this um, 
for hours, just the different hats or different identities that Jesus had, the different ways that we think about him. But if you were a first century Jew, and one Sabbath morning, Jesus showed up in your synagogue and taught from the Torah or gave a series of teachings on the kingdom of God, the odds are that the category you would have put Jesus in was that of a rabbi or a Jewish teacher. Uh, Rabbi is a Hebrew word meaning master or teacher. And a rabbi was a master teacher who would travel around from village to village to synagogue to synagogue with his yoke or his teachings. It's really interesting when we think about uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says. We're just like, oh, like it's this metaphor. What's it a metaphor for? Jesus' teachings, come under my teaching, is what Jesus is saying there. So Jesus, like the rabbis of his day, went around teaching from village to village, synagogue to synagogue. His set of teachings on the Torah, we know, of course, his Sermon on the Mount. We think about his teachings even in John's gospel, that when he's teaching the multitudes, it says at the end of John, I think it's John chapter 6, that they're in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is where Jesus is teaching. So When we think about Jesus, do we ever think of Jesus in this way? That Jesus is a teacher? Jesus the teacher. And not just a teacher, but in fact the greatest teacher that ever lived. As we read through Mark's gospel, and I think most of us know that this is the first gospel that was ever penned. This is what we find. We find Jesus, the rabbi, a teacher. And so this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus, the teacher, and then we want to talk about what it means to be students or disciples of Jesus, the teacher. And I think that this is something that we don't talk enough about uh, in evangelicalism. We give Jesus all these other titles, and we talk about him in all these other contexts, but not necessarily the context of teacher. So I would just like to read some passages out of Mark, and I know Jackie just read a few, but I just want to read through this, and I want you to listen and just try to hear the theme of Mark's, or one of the themes of Mark's gospel. So again, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And so immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Mark two thirteen through 14, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And he went up on a mountain, Mark 3.13, and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. And he gave them the name Sons of Thunder, Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus 
and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And lastly, Mark 8, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? Anybody notice a theme as we read through those verses? The call of Jesus again and again in these passages, the message of Jesus is, follow me. Follow me. Now, if, if we were to say, what was the message of Jesus? You know, again, we would get a variety of answers. Who was Jesus? Get a variety of answers. What was the message of Jesus? A variety of answers. I think the all-too-common answer of the American church to the question of the message of Jesus is, Jesus came so that we would ask him into our hearts to have our sin forgiven so we can go to heaven when we die. And this is an answer that you won't actually find in the Bible or on the lips of Jesus. Does Jesus come into our heart? Yes. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in the life of a follower of Jesus. Are our sins forgiven us for Jesus' sake? Yes, this is true. Do we go, if we are in Christ, do we go to heaven when we die? Yes, but that is not the end of the story. God is going to make all things new. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. But what we do is we truncate the gospel. And we actually limit the message of Jesus. And so we limit its potency. It's so important, and I think that this kind of comes back to the theme of the year. It's so important that we read the actual Bible (laughs) to find out, to know for ourselves, to be clear about Jesus and his message. And one of the main messages of Jesus, especially in the Gospel of Mark, was follow me, or, in other words, become my disciple. You guys know the story of the rich young ruler, right? Everybody familiar with that story? What's, what's the big idea of that story? He's unwilling to follow him. Yeah. And so many times I, I've heard, you know, pastors and theologians, you know, read commentaries on this. And what is often talked about is, oh, you know, this man's idol. It, oh, it's his idol. And they go after the idol, and that's what they want to talk about. But the heart of that, of what Jesus is going after there, is he's calling this man to be his disciple. And we find this theme again and again and again in the Gospels, but I think we actually ignore it. The word disciple in Hebrew is a word talmudim, and there are different ways to translate it. Uh, Disciple is the most common, but it can also be translated follower or student. Uh, The problem is, I think, is that our words, follower, student, and English, don't really capture the idea of of the Talmudim. You know, you think about, we go to schools, and we're students of certain teachers or schools of thought, but then we move on from these things. They are stepping stones for us. You know, nobody goes around, you know, saying, well, you know, I am a son of Berkeley. You know, I am a child of UCSF. Or, you know, describes themselves as, you know, like, you know, I am a disciple of Boyerin or, you know, or whoever, right? Pick a professor. We don't really talk in that way um, or identify ourselves in that way. 
No one talks about being formed in the image of Berkeley or being formed in the image of USC or something like that or being an apprentice of these schools or a specific professor. It's just not the way we talk or the way that we function as a society. The way of a Talmudim was just, wasn't just to learn something from someone like we do in our day and age, but it was to become their apprentice. In those days, you didn't, you didn't follow many teachers. You didn't follow many rabbis. You had one teacher. You had one rabbi. And the goal for a Talmudim, a goal for a disciple, was to conform your life to your master. That's what it was, to be like your teacher. Jesus actually says this in Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but listen, but everyone when he is fully trained or she is fully trained will be like their teacher. Everyone when they are fully trained will be like their teacher. This was the common understanding of the relationship between a rabbi and the Talmudim, or a teacher and a disciple. Of course, a rabbi wasn't just a teacher, but an expert in the law of Moses. And they, like I said, they would travel from village to synagogue and they're with their set of teachings on Torah. And these men had huge respect in the Jewish community. The idea of being asked to be a student or a disciple of a rabbi was a great, great honor in those days. And the way the rabbi or teacher role worked in Israel was very similar and maybe even borrowed from the Greek philosophers. A rabbi would choose a set of disciples or students, and these disciples would basically turn their lives over to their teachers to become their apprentice. You know, like if you're a nerd, just think Star Wars, right? You know, like... Uh, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader, you know, or Yoda and Luke, right? It was like they're going to learn all the teachings of their master and they're going to assimilate these things. Who's a nerd now, right? Um, But here's the idea. It would work in three movements. First, you would be with your rabbi. You lived together. You went everywhere together. You watched him. You watched how he interacted with people. You watched his posture. You listened to him. You took his words in and his way of life. And so, you know, you know, sometimes we think about, like, how did the disciples remember all this stuff? They wrote it down because they were students. That's what they were doing. This is their teacher. And he is like the teacher of teachers. So everywhere they go and everything Jesus is doing, I mean, they are taking copious amounts of notes, I believe. Writing these things down, remembering, watching, looking, and listening. They would be with their rabbi. Secondly, the goal was to become like your rabbi. You would fully adopt the rabbi's way of life. We've been talking a lot about rhythms habits and practices the talmudim or the student would actually imitate the voice the body language the dress the whole thing the idea was taking on the identity of your rabbi my grandpa was a very influential pastor in southern california and it's really interesting early on to hear some of the recordings of the guys that he discipled and it's just a joke they would tell his stories 
<laughs> like they were their own. And they would even do like this thing with their voice where they would pause the way that my grandpa would pause and they'd talk really deep with their voice. And, my, and they, they didn't talk like that, but my grandpa had a really deep voice. And it's just super funny to listen to these guys. But the thing was, I mean, this is what they did. They were with him and they imitated him. They took on his way of life. And that was the idea of the rabbi, to copy, to imitate. And then lastly, it was to do what your rabbi did. Fully assimilate their life in person. So ultimately, discipleship, being called to follow a rabbi meant to go with your rabbi in an attitude of study, obedience, and imitation. Study, obedience, and imitation. So three goals of discipleship or apprenticeship. Be with your rabbi, time spent with him, listening, watching, doing life together. Become like your rabbi. Copy their way of life, assimilate their rhythm and habits, and finally do what your rabbi did. Live out their teachings and their way of life. Now, this is what the New Testament tells us, that it's not just these 12 that were called. There were many, many more who were called to be Jesus' disciples. These 12 were unique. But remember at the end of the Gospels, what does it say? Jesus calling his disciples together after he has risen from the dead. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have taught you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so what we find is that the goal of the early church was to make disciples of Rabbi Jesus. The same is true for us. Jesus is our teacher. He is not just our savior. He is not just our king. Those are immensely important. But as far as our personal growth, our identity, our growth, and our mission, our goals in life, we need to understand Jesus as our teacher. In Mark 8.34, which I read, which is this, when Jesus calls the crowd and the disciples to himself and begins to talk to them about picking up their cross to follow him, Mark uses a literary device to engage the reader. Mark does this constantly in his gospel. But what he does is he differentiates the crowd from the disciple. And his reason for doing this is so that the reader will ask, who am I? Am I a disciple or am I an observer? Am I simply a face in the crowd? And we might think, well, you know, I'm a Christian. That's what I am. I'm a Christian. Fun fact, the Bible uses the term Christian three times. And it was always used in a derogatory way. King Agrippa says, oh, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. It was a derogatory term, these little Christs, these weirdos, right? Like, what are these people doing? The little messiahs walking around. It was used in Antioch. The pagans called Jesus' followers Christians. And then Peter, in his letter about Christian persecution, he says, if you are called the name Christian, 
and then he gives a set of, you know, pieces of advice of just how to live out that identity or how to kind of prove people wrong. So it's used three times in Scripture, all in a derogatory way. It was something the crowd said mockingly about disciples of Jesus. In contrast, the New Testament uses the word disciple 269 times. So I ask again, are we disciples or are we Christians? Am I a disciple of Jesus or am I just a face in the crowd? Am I, am I an observer? Am I attracted to Jesus? I, I like Jesus. I give mental assent to Jesus. I like Jesus' way. Great. Are you a disciple? 269 times. And when the, when the New Testament speaks of disciple, it's all the context of rabbi and disciple. That's the context. It's not modern American smorgish Borg, you know, education, the way that we do it. Like, I pull from this person, that person, this person, that person, and I kind of just make up my own way of life. No. When the New Testament calls Jesus' people disciples, it is envisioning this picture of be with your rabbi, become like your rabbi, do what your rabbi does, a full surrender of your life to the teachings of your rabbi. Sadly, in our time, you can be a Christian and not be a disciple of Jesus. You can be a Christian without any intention of becoming like Jesus. Remember, that's again that, well, I get my sins forgiven, so I go to heaven when I die. Discipleship to Jesus, especially in the American church, is optional. And this is so typical of our American consumer mentality, right? We see Jesus as an option among many teachings and ways of life. The idea of becoming like Jesus comes into conflict with our American message of being ourselves, being true to ourselves, of being unique, or of being authentic. But I believe what we are doing when we do this is we are lessening Jesus' call and demands, but when we do that, we lessen its potency as well. I was hanging out with a friend yesterday at um, Russian River. And I've noticed this among Christians, but the conversation was, do you think maybe we've missed something? You know, I, I just feel like the church doesn't have this potency that we see in the New Testament. And maybe we've missed <clears throat> keeping the law of Moses. Maybe that's what we're supposed to go back to. And maybe, you know, just kind of looking at the New Testament, maybe these guys, you know, kept the law of Moses and were just not really aware of the practices and the habits that they were keeping, that they were doing. So interesting, we just, you know, have this dialogue going back and forth about this. What I find interesting is that many people are speaking this way. And I think the reason is, is because we have not taken discipleship seriously enough. We have taken it as optional. We have taken it as, <clears throat> you know, I don't know what happened when you became a Christian, but I was just given a Bible and just told, read this, figure it out. <laughs> and my dad was a pastor. So it's like, oh, like there was no farm format of, for discipleship or anything like that. It's just like, here, read this Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit. You'll figure it out. 
that's been 19 years. I guess maybe I am figuring it out. But, yeah. But all that to say, there, there was no, like, clear outline of, of, of what it means to follow Jesus necessarily. It means, oh, to not sin. It means to maybe not do these things or not associate with these things. But there wasn't this clear outline or guideline for that life. And I think that many in the church are kind of floundering, looking, what is it all about? I remember years ago, N.T. Wright wrote a book called After You Believe. And what he found is that many Christians upon, after entering into the Christian faith and saying, okay, I've got my, I've got my sins forgiven and I know that I'm going to be in heaven forever. So what? Now what? Now what do I do? Become a disciple. Become a disciple. Be with your teacher. Become like your teacher and do what your teacher did. Again, I think the American church, we have lessened Jesus' call and demands. And I, I swear to you, every time I have given a message on being disciples of Jesus, whether I've talked about the cost of discipleship, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this kind of stuff, I always get pushback. Every time. Oh, well, you know, that's like really extreme. Well, what about for these people that are struggling? Great. Be a disciple. Be a disciple who's struggling. You know, last week when we were sitting out the river, oh my gosh, I was, I'm, I'm kind of an emotional person. Um, but as the students were giving their testimonies and um, our leaders and dads and grandpas were baptizing, I'm just like, I have my sunglasses on, thankfully, so nobody knew how emotional I was. But it's just like, just a nonstop flow of tears. It was just beautiful. Just so privileged to be a part of that. <clears throat> but something even that was just hinted at was, well, I know I'm gonna. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I'm going to struggle. Absolutely. I know I haven't got it all figured out. No, you don't. You know why? Because you're human. <laughs> We're not God, so we don't have it all figured out, right? But that doesn't change the the call to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he did. We're all going to struggle. We're not doing it perfectly. That's not what it's about. But it is about being with our rabbi. It is about becoming like our rabbi. And it is about doing what he did. Discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus is the only real way to follow him. That's it. Every other way, every lesser way is untrue. And this is what Jesus says in Mark 8, 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Anything less than the call of Jesus to take up our cross and to follow him, to be with him, to become like him and to do what he did. It is untrue. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will indeed save it. Even this morning, this might be the very thing you are missing. You know about Jesus, you believe in Jesus, but you have followed at a distance, thinking that this is enough. Jesus calls every one of us to be his Disciple, And so here is the call of the disciple. We're going to play this out. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Can I just say this? That is the program for the rest of your life. 
That's it. I believe that everything else that God has for us is encompassed in these three things. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. So whether you're brand new to following Jesus or whether you've been doing it your whole life, this is the program. So be with Jesus. What are we talking about? Well, have you noticed, and maybe this is just me, but bear with me for a moment. But I feel like in recent years... We hear a lot of talking about Jesus. Jesus, I feel, is becoming an ideal. And I've, I, we're watching the church, many of the churches return to the Sermon on the Mount. Many churches are returning to mission. Many churches are retur- returning to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. We understand that this is the call of God's people to be, you know, redemptive participants. And, and all that is wonderful. It's wonderful. But how often are we talking about simply being with Jesus? I believe, and I'm coming to believe more and more, that this, in fact, is the greatest offer of Christianity. We get Jesus. We get the living Christ. Not the Christ who was buried rose again, ascended to heaven, and will come again one day, who knows when. But we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who has taken up residence in our hearts. And like that old hymn says, that he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. And this isn't just something that we only read in the pages of scripture the words of Christ but the Holy Spirit is alive the Spirit of Christ is alive and active in our hearts in the world and we have this invitation as God's people to be with Jesus and to cultivate the presence of Christ now maybe it's because we have tended to see the world in a fixed scientific rational way that we speak of Jesus as an ideal we speak of imitation of Christ we speak of the way of Jesus we might go so far to speak of him reigning as king in heaven but maybe that's it right there we speak about Jesus so he becomes an ideal but we don't speak to Jesus as a living person and this is just a journey that I'm on but When I'm in my car, I just don't turn my radio on anymore. And it's not because I'm holy. I love love all music. And I love NPR. And I've told you guys, I just like information download. That's all I want to do all the time. But I'm realizing that I have these, these, you know, stints of opportunity for just silence. Just to be with Jesus, to talk to him. Like I'm talking to my friend. Like I'm talking to my friend. Because Jesus is my friend. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Because the servants don't know what the master is doing. He calls us into his counsel. Is that real? Is that alive to us? Or is it just an ideal? And if it is an ideal, then I, I would encourage you, I would exhort you, to seek out the presence of Jesus. This is something that I've been doing, is just spending time in silence and solitude in order to cultivate the presence of Jesus, in order just to be with him and and talk with him. Just like last night, Grace and I just sat on the front porch and we read and we talked. 
And so you know what? When grace isn't available, and other times I'm just doing that with Jesus. Him and I are sitting on the front porch, and there just so happens to be an empty chair right next to me, which is just kind of fun. Like, you got, you Char, you are so freaking weird. And you know what? I would have said I was weird 10 years ago, too, maybe even five years ago. But I'm, I'm learning to practice the presence of Jesus, to tell him my fears. I, I shared this with you guys a while ago. I was reading through the Chronicles of Narnia with um, our kids. And when I came to uh, the story of the horse and his boy, there is that part where um, Shasta is lost in the dark forest. He can't see anything. And Aslan comes up beside him. And he doesn't know it's Aslan, but he feels the, his breath on his and his hand and his leg as he's riding on this horse. And, the, and the, Aslan's voice, he begins to talk with him. And at one point in time, Aslan says to him, he says, tell me all of your sorrows. And man, in that moment, I just burst into tears. And, you know, I just like closed the book. I was like, okay, we're done for the night, you know, and just like, you know, kiss, kiss, hug, hug, good night, you know, see you guys. And I walked away and I was like, what just happened? What just happened? And I realized that I had been bottling up this stuff for so long. I had not been telling the Lord my sorrows. I had not been bringing him in to my hardships, my struggles. He had, he had not been my confidant. He had been someone far, far removed who was maybe cheering me on, someone I could look to as an example, but he was not my fellow traveler. But he says to you, he says to me, tell me all your sorrows. Let me be your companion in life. Walk with me. Talk with me. Cultivate my presence. Be with me. And this is the grandest offer of Christianity. We get the living Christ. We get Jesus alive, resurrected from the dead. We get his presence to be with us. I encourage you to go home today. And we just read this if you're doing Yobel, but maybe you're not doing it. I encourage you to go home today and sometime, or maybe this week, to read through John 14 through 16. Look at the way Jesus talks about his Holy Spirit being with disciples. I will instruct you in my truth. He will remind you, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, he says. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. We are to cultivate that spirit of his presence. As I said, to walk with him, to talk with him, to be with Jesus. And this is the first and most essential step of discipleship to Rabbi Jesus, to be with him. Secondly, it's to become like Jesus. And we talk about this a lot at Refuge, but I think the order is absolutely vital. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, or practice the way of Jesus. I mentioned a few times as we were doing our series on the creative minority that the Sermon on the Mount is the most important teaching of Jesus for God's people. And it is. It is where we learn the way of Jesus. We learn Jesus' habits. We learn Jesus' rhythms. Actually, I was just up in Washington this last week, and on Tuesday I was talking about the human Jesus. You know, sometimes we just think of Jesus as being superhuman, right? You know, well, he's the son of God. And so Jesus, um, 
you know, we kind of excuse Jesus, but we, we don't realize sometimes in the Gospels, I mean, it says Jesus learned obedience, it says in Hebrews. In the Gospels, it says that he uh, was subject to Mary and Joseph, and he grew in wisdom and understanding and favor with God and men. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just like, that doesn't mean anything because he's the son of God. I mean, he has all knowledge. You know, Jesus was probably levitating, you know, when he was like two or something, right? Like, that's how we think of him, even, you know, if it doesn't say that. But to think of Jesus as the liturgical man. And as we see that before his ministry to the multitudes, Jesus spent 40 years, or 40 years, Israel did that. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness in silence and solitude to be strengthened for the mission of God. That Jesus would often break away from the disciples. And it's so interesting. Luke records this. Jesus often withdrew to the mountain to pray. I just like picture Luke interviewing people in Palestine. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, Jesus this and Jesus that. You know what? Actually, there was something super interesting. All the time, Jesus was aloof. He was like gone. Like we'd wake up in the morning and he was gone. And then he'd come down from the mountain. Often he did this. This was a rhythm of Jesus' life. We don't think of Jesus like that, do we? We don't think of the fact that Jesus would spend all night in prayer before doing a day of ministry to his disciples and to the multitudes. But Jesus was a liturgical man. He was a man of rhythm. He was a man of habit. And in the Sermon on the Mount, you guys, he invites us into his habits. He invites us into his rhythms. He invites us into his practice. Listen to what he says. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven and then as jesus brings this sermon to a close it's almost like these bookends he says everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock it's a practice that jesus is inviting us into So the teachings of Jesus, as we were saying before, are not just to be heard or learned like we often do in modern school. Learn just for an exam. Learn just for the test and then forgotten. They are to be practiced. They are to be assimilated and applied. Dallas Willard, he says this, the way of Jesus is not about trying. Often we think of it in that way, like, oh, okay, well, isn't this works, righteousness? No, it's not about trying, it's about training. It's about training. And I would say this, the way of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Messiah is the gymnasium for the disciple of Jesus. It's the gymnasium, right? By practicing the way of Jesus, we do what Paul exhorted Timothy to do, to train for godliness. This is how we grow in character to become more like Jesus through practicing his way of life. And that is forgiveness. That we practice forgiveness so that it becomes more a part of our person so that we become more like Jesus. That's non-retaliation. That's meekness. That's peacefulness, mercy, sincerity, Purity, fidelity, fasting, prayer, silence, solitude, love of neighbor and our enemy, and the list goes on. The 
Jesus calls us not just to be with him, but to become like him. And this is the goal. This is the mission for the rest of our lives, to become like Jesus, to train in righteousness and godliness. Again, Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he says, Jesus does not call us to do what he did, but to be as he was, permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. And that's the idea. The idea of apprenticeship, to practice the way of Jesus so that it becomes a part of who we are. That's how character is formed. Remember years ago, there was that guy, uh, Oh, gosh, what was his name? He had an interesting name. They just made a movie about it with Tom Hanks. It's the, the pilot. He's from the Bay Area, and he lands the plane in the Hudson. You guys remember that? Soli. Soling? There you go, yeah. Remember when that happened? You know what they were calling it? A miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's not a miracle. Or not the kind of miracle that we normally think of. And sometimes we think of the Sermon on the Mount that way. God God just zaps people, and then they're holy and sanctified, and they're like Jesus. No, no, no. Solely practice every single day the right way. He practiced. He trained. He trained and trained and trained and trained and trained and trained. And so that when it came into that crisis moment, he did exactly what he should have done. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. And he saved many lives. So likewise, the call of God on our lives, practice the way of Jesus. Practice the way of Jesus. And so that when you meet an opportunity, what would you do if somebody broke into your house? Would you kill him? I don't know. I hope that by practicing the way of Jesus, every single day that when I meet that crisis moment in my life, I will choose the way of Jesus. And I will be led by the Holy Spirit to do that. But it's because of training, it's because of practice, it's because I've been in the gymnasium of godliness. It's not automatic. So be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and then lastly, do what Jesus did. It says in Mark three thirteen through 15, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, there it is, right, be with him, And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Hmm. It's interesting to note that this is exactly what Jesus was described as doing in Mark 1.21 through 28. There's my timer. I'm done. Listen to this. So Jesus just called the disciples, and it says, And then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. They were astonished at his teaching. And immediately... In their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. So Jesus calls the disciples, Be with me. Come under my yoke. Be with me. And then he sends them out to do exactly what Jesus himself had already been doing. Preach the gospel and cast out demons. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So disciples are called to do what Jesus did. Have you ever read that passage where Jesus says, you know, like, oh, the Holy Spirit is coming, and you will do greater works than I, because the Holy Spirit's with you. And you're like, what? And you know, for centuries, theologians and commentators are like, it must mean 
quantitative rather than qualitative, right? Because who can do the works of Jesus? And we try to like classify this and get around it. And I think it's just all to get around the fact that we don't do what Jesus did. And I think it's because we don't practice being with him. We don't practice becoming like him. This is not the regiment. This is not the mission of our lives. But disciples, according to Jesus, when we are fully trained, will be like their teacher. Disciples are called to do what Jesus did. What is that? What did Jesus do? This is from John Mark Comer. He just kind of put a list together looking through the Gospels. It's great. Disciples of Jesus, what did Jesus do? What are we called to do? Preach the gospel. Teach the way of Jesus. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Do justice. Eat and drink with those who are far from God. Pray and prophesy. Stand up against religious hypocrisy and pride. Speak truth to political power. That's what Jesus did. So your goal, my goal, is to learn how to do all that. And it's not to go out there and like kind of figure it out. No, be with Jesus. Be with Jesus and cultivate his presence. Practice the way of Jesus. Do what he says. You know, what does Jesus say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you keep calling me master? You don't do what I tell you to do. Stop deceiving ourselves. If we're not obeying Jesus, we're not being his disciples. We're not going to have the power to do what he did. It's just plain and simple. So your goal, my goal, is to learn how to do all that. It's a lifelong journey of being an apprentice of Jesus Christ. My whole life, my life goal is to live as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth for the rest of our lives. That's it. And as we practice being with Jesus, more will be revealed to us about the person and majesty of Jesus. And this will increase our transformation and our imitation of Jesus. I, you know, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about contemplative reading. Sometimes we just blow through the text. And, you know, I'm just going to say, I think I've said this already. Yobel, like, good, kind of sorry, like, because it's just a rush, right? Like, my kids are doing it right now, and it's like they're behind, and they're like, Dad, we already read three chapters today. You know, they're like eight and nine. I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. You know, like, there's, there's grace, there's grace. But, you know, we're, we don't get to sit. We go, don't get to do contemplative reading with Yobel. And so I'm sorry. I am sorry that I have not set you up for contemplative reading, and I hope that you have made time to do that on your own. But I've just been reading through the Gospel of Mark, And I have been noticing, and again, this is a literary device that Mark uses in his gospel, but it's this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the interesting thing to me is that as the disciples spend time with Jesus, and only as they spend time with Jesus, more and more is revealed about who Jesus is. To the point where they get to the the Mount of Transfiguration and his form is changed radiance glowing with the presence of Yahweh. And the voice speaks, this is my beloved son, hear him. And there's this moment where the disciples realize who Jesus is. He's the son of man. 
He's the one who is going to inherit the ends of the earth. He's the one that's going to rule. And of course, Jesus has to explain to them what that actually will mean and how the Son of Man enters into his glory through suffering and all that. But the idea is as we practice being with Jesus, more will be revealed to us about the person and majesty of Jesus. And this will increase our transformation. This will strengthen our imitation of Jesus. And so, as the Lord did it with those first disciples, may he do it with us as we sit with Jesus. May we understand more and more who he really is in all his majesty and divinity. So in closing, Jesus' invitation to every one of us this morning is to follow him. Whether this is the first time you're hearing this or it's an echo of a call you heard long ago, follow him for the rest of your life. As a disciple in these simple ways, be with him, become like him, do what he did for the rest of your life. I'll close with this. Dallas Willard from The Great Omission, he says this, The greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ. Steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Lord, Father, we just want to take in this moment. And Lord, just to hear your voice calling us. Lord, I believe this morning you have been calling to heart in this room. Calling us to be with you. And I pray, Lord, just like that story of Mary and Martha... Lord, that we who have been busy about many things, kingdom things, even sanctification things, or just we've been trying to do good works, works of righteousness. Lord, in that story we're told Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church, a community, a group of disciples that would do that. Lord, that all that you do in and through us would be springing out of cultivating your presence, of sitting at your feet, of taking you in, of meditating upon your way of life. contemplating your career, your habits, your person, your posture. And then, Lord, that we would begin to become like you, Lord. Like Paul says, that we are with with unveiled face, are beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And as we behold that glory, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the other. Paul's talking about sitting in your presence, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to hear the cry of Scripture, to be with you, to be your people, to be your disciples. And I pray, Lord, that there would just be a fresh recommitment from us, Lord, 
to do this. And Lord, as we make disciples of you in this city, Lord, to call them to this same costly discipleship, to be with you, to become like you, and to do what you did. God, we give that journey individually, each of us, Lord, we surrender that to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.